The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Today's episode has been made possible through the generous support of Bright Peak Financial, an award-winning not-for-profit supporting Christians on their journey to financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to make your dream happen. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome and welcome back. I want to say Unity Online Radio had a couple of weeks off for summer break and now we are back in the swing of things. What a pleasure to have you. After the break, we're going to be talking with Stephanie Redcross from Vegan Mainstream. She is the big vegan business expert. So if you're in business or thinking about business or Wonder if business is some kind of evil thing that you shouldn't be thinking about. Uh, Stephanie is going to set us straight on all of that. And we have a very, very fun guest coming up. But first, I just want to fill you in on a couple of things that have been happening with me. I returned from Vegetarian Summerfest a couple of days ago. And if you've never been, oh, my goodness, save your money. Think about it for next year. Seriously, This is the most fun. It is summer camp for vegans. You can bring your whole family. They have a wonderful children's program. It is nonstop stuff to do, things to learn, incredible people to meet. I always get a whole bunch of new shows, guests for the show when I go to Summerfest. And I did something there very special. I premiered my one-woman show, The Making of a Main Street Vegan. And as much as I have spoken in my life, I've spoken professionally since I was 12 years old. I started when I was a kid. And I've always had really great responses. But the response I got to this theatrical piece was overwhelming, absolutely beyond my wildest dreams, which tells me that there is great power in using art, in using music, in using theater to carry this message, which brings me right up to introducing our first guest. She is Cynthia Von Bueller, a children's book author, artist, director, and playwright who is deeply passionate about introducing people to the benefits and joys of living a vegan lifestyle. In addition to this, over the course of the past three decades, she has researched and rehabbed, rescued, I'm sorry, rescued and rehabbed hundreds of animals from pigeons to raccoons. Her latest play, The Illuminati Ball, is an immersive excursion 
inspired by the de Rothschild's 1974 surrealist Illuminati party. However, von Bueller's interpretation features plant-based fare and an animal-centric storyline. She lives with her husband, four cats, one dog, 15 pigeons, and a pot-bellied pig between Manhattan and Connecticut. Welcome, Cynthia von Bueller. Hello. Thank you for having me on. It's so wonderful to have you on. You know, we spoke once before. I was put in touch with you by your publicist, and I didn't quite understand what the Illuminati ball was. And so I wanted to talk to you in person. And our conversation was that your dear sweet pig was having some kind of health problem. And that was first order of the day. And as soon as we got to that, it's like, I love this woman. Her pig comes first. Yes. Actually, my pig was having what's called dippity pig syndrome, which is kind of a rare, uh, a rare disease that people don't know about that baby pigs get. And it's very short lived. It only takes 24 hours, but it's pretty scary. Oh, well, I'm glad that she's okay. And I love it that you have a baby pig. I really think that the great beneficence outdid himself, herself, itself in the creation of the pig. (laughs) They're (laughs) such, such an amazing creature. So you are doing this amazing thing called the Illuminati Ball, and this is immersive theater. What is that? Immersive theater is when when you go to see a show and you are part of it. So you're not just watching it on a stage. You're actually you're actually uh, an actor within the show. Uh, so you could be wandering around in an environment and interacting with the actors, talking to them, and, and and that's what an immersive show is. Now, this is an immersive excursion, which is we actually put people on a, in a limo bus and take them away to a, a different place where they have an immersive theater experience. It sounds amazing. There was something, when I lived in London, way back when I was 18, they had something called a magical mystery tour because the Beatles had a song about that. And they put people on a bus and took them out to the woods and it was all these, you know, strange and unusual and beautiful and interesting experiences, but not what you're going to do because you're going to do this as something that helps people understand about the animals. Tell us about that. Right. I Well, I've been doing immersive theater since 2011. That was when I did my first uh, show in, in New York City. And, and I really wanted to do something this time about animals. Animals are my passion. And I've never done a theatrical uh, performance about animals. And and, and actually, we don't really tell anyone that. So people who come to this, they don't really know what they're getting themselves into. It's sort of like they're being initiated into the Illuminati, and it's filled with surprises once they arrive. I want to go. I want to be filled with surprises. <laughs> so you're going to feed them a vegan dinner, but they don't know that before they get there. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, we have these anthropomorphic escapades and, and, and morality tests throughout the evening, but we're doing it in a way that's, it's thrilling, it's fun, it's exciting. The meal is extremely decadent. So we wanted it to be vegan, but we wanted it to be um, over the top decadent to show you that you can actually have a vegan meal that's, that's really not only delicious, but decadent and and exciting. So, so, um, we have this amazing chef. Her name is Erin Orr. And, um, she, so we have 10 courses. The first course is eaten blindfolded to better, uh, to better appreciate the nuance of the flavor. Oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, I, I, I'm getting excited. And I know that you've been doing this through the summer and it's been so popular that you've extended it through October. So anybody who is in the New York City area or who is going to be coming to this area, uh, check out the IlluminatiBall.com and you can go. Maybe we can go together. I, yeah, so, I hope you come and, I hope you come and, and visit us. That'd be great. But now you don't take just everybody. What you, people need to apply and be accepted. What do you yes. look for in applicants? 
We didn't start it that way. We started actually back in February and, and it was sort of open and anybody could buy a ticket. And we decided that we wanted to have some control over who was coming. And, um, especially with like drinking and that kind of thing, we, you know, we, we want people to be responsible, but one of the questions on the application is, are you, do you love animals? And, um, another question is, are you a vegetarian or vegan? Uh, and it's really interesting about this, that, that, that people always say, I love animals. I adore animals. Oh, I, I live for animals, but then they're never vegetarian or vegan or they're rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there's this disconnect and that's what the play is really about sort of bridging that disconnect. Why do you think that disconnect exists? You know, I, it's, 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 it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, figure that out. I, I think it's, you know, with factory farming and it, nobody really sees what they're eating. They, you know, like children's books, like you always see cute little animals. So people love animals, but they're not connecting that to what they're eating. And I find that when people meet Persephone, my pig, they, they're, they're really surprised that she's, you know, she's like a dog. She's, 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 she's smart. She's like a three-year-old child. And it really, you know, I think that that's the best way to show people, um, you know, to to, to bridge that gap is by showing them the animals, by having them interact and pet the animal. So uh, Persephone is actually in the play. Ah. So, uh, yeah. So I think that by meeting her, you know, the the play is about sort of the Illuminati. It's about sacrifice and and animal sacrifice and human sacrifice. And so we, we have some of that in it. And that's where the morality test comes in. And we reward compassion. How so fast with compassion, they'll get a secret key and then they get to meet Persephone. Oh, wow. So you're not looking for people who are a little bit shy, retiring, and afraid of new things. <laughs> no, I, you know, and actually, you know, we're, some people don't, you don't need to be involved. You can sit back and watch. It's really up, you know, to the person if they want to get involved. They don't have to. You can really just sit and watch. We have opera and dancing and drum circles and all kinds, you know, fire performance. So you can really just watch and, and, or you can dance and be a part of it and you can dance naked in the, in the woods. I mean, it really is up to you what you, what you want to do. Um, not dance naked in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so how do your guests react when they find out that the meal was vegan and that you were really trying to give them this animal protection message all the way out there at the fabulous castle? Are they like, huh? What just happened? Well, you know, I, I feel like, um, well, this is actually, this is an, it's, it's a lakefront lodge. It's in this, you know, it's an estate. It's on a, a quite a big piece of land on a lake. And, um, you know, we, we do, um, we don't tell them it's vegan because I feel like if we advertise it as vegan and an animal centric show that people will not come. And those are, that's, you know, one of the audience we want to really want to hit that audience. We want to show them. So when someone says that they're vegan, that doesn't, you know, I'm not going to be accepting someone just because they're vegan. I actually want the meat eaters to come. So, uh, but, but I've been pleasantly surprised that people really love the food that they really, really enjoy it. They think it's delicious. I mean, it's, it is a really delicious meal. We also have an amazing, uh, mixologist named bootleg Greg. All of the drinks are vegan as well. And they're just gorgeous. And, you know, people by the end, they're not quite sure if it's vegan or not. Um, you know, the very last course is, is mock duck. And we tell them it's duck that somebody went hunting and caught duck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we've had some vegans who say, Oh, I can't eat this. It's duck. And I'll have to whisper in their ear. No, no, it's, it's okay. It's, it's vegan. So, yeah. uh, but, um, you know, but, but so, but surprisingly, they've really been responded well to it. And then we send them a thank you at the, you know, a couple of days later with a rest with the recipes so they can actually, uh-huh. um, see, you know, make these, these, these meals themselves. Wow, the way to an omnivore's heart is through the stomach. This is perfect. <laughs> it is the IlluminatiBall.com happening every other weekend through October. You can also find Cynthia on Twitter, but because it's Twitter, everything has to be abbreviated a little bit. So she's Synth 
von Bueller, C-Y-N-T-H-V-O-N-B-U-H-L-E-R. And, of course, we will have that in the website and lots of other helpful information on the show notes. If you go to MainStreetVegan.net, just click on show notes and you'll be able to see those. So, Cynthia, tell us a little bit about the rest of your life. You're an artist and a performance artist and you do all these incredibly creative things. Uh, well, I, I consider myself a, a painter, first and foremost, a painter and a writer. And I do illustrate children's books. The uh, I have two children's books. One's called The Cat Who Wouldn't Come Inside, about a feral cat. And uh, and then I have another book called But Who Will Bell the Cats, which is about mice and cats, based on Aesop's fable. And I create dollhouse sets. So they're sort of theatrical sets, that, and then I photograph them for the books, so there's sort of a connection, although this is much more adult. There is some sort of a connection between those because it's a sort of a theatrical set that I create. Uh, but I'm also a painter. I'm a portrait painter and a sculptor. And, uh, yeah, used to be a musician. What a wonderful creative life. Now, one thing I just want to let people know, when they go to the website to theilluminatiball.com, they're going to see some stuff that doesn't look vegan. So can you just clear all that up for the vegans listening? Sure, sure. I hope you can't hear my dog barking, can you? It doesn't matter. We love dogs barking. <laughs> pigs, the pigs snorting, the dogs barking and, outside. And cats meowing and all the rest. Okay, great. Okay, so um, yes, actually what we have is we we have uh, sort of deer heads on the wall. And I'm sorry, I'm going to go in the other room because there's somebody outside with the lawnmower and it's making... Hold on one second here. Um, we have deer heads on the wall, and they're all crying, these diamond tears. And one of the first things I saw when I started researching the Illuminati and the Rothschilds was that the the the, the Baroness was wearing this stag head mask, and on it she had these diamond tears. And when I saw that, I thought, oh, you know, this reminds me of the sadness of animals, and I wanted to show that. So this is a hunting lodge sort of estate, and I, you know, people have these deer heads in their attics and just sitting there doing nothing. And people donated them to me, and I, I transformed them and put diamond tears on them, so they look like they're they're soft, like crying diamonds. And then around their necks is a plaque showing how they were killed. So, for example, there's a raccoon that was trapped, and around his his hand, he's holding a locket that shows how he was trapped, actually shows him in the trap. So it's, you know, it's educational and you don't really notice it at first. Like you first, when you walk in the room, you see these and it looks like a traditional hunting lodge. But then when you look a little closer, you realize that, that there's much more to it. Oh, this is stunning. This, this is stunning, exciting, fun, helpful. I'm just, I'm over the moon now. So everybody check it out, theilluminatiball.com. If you're around New York City between now and October, apply. And next spring, they're going to be doing it again. So Cynthia, bless your heart. Thank you so much for everything you do. I hope that one day we get to meet and uh, that I could meet Persephone too. Yes, thank you. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much. We'll connect again. Okay. All the best. Bye. And everybody else, stay with us because Stephanie Red Cross of Vegan Mainstream means business.
you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. So there I was, staring at a closet overflowing with clothes, practically bursting at the seams in their polyester prison. I had ten minutes left to get dressed, and the stress was kicking in. Are turtlenecks still a thing? What about rhinestones? Where did I get this? Oh, my leggings from 1987. Ah, the scarves are attacking me. Sound familiar? Declutter your life and your closet with the Simple Living Challenge. It's a free 14-day challenge with powerful daily assignments to help you find more balance, freedom, and joy in life. Just go to SimpleLivingChallenge.com to sign up. Ooh, a cowboy hat. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. Just want to give you a reminder to check out the blog over at um, www.mainstreetvegan.net. Uh, it's a very interesting blog because part of the time I write it and part of the time it's written by the well over 200 uh, Main Street Vegan certified vegan lifestyle coaches from 16 countries around the world. So since we've been off for a couple of weeks, there are three to tell you about. The one that just went up is called Simply Step Up to the Plate about simplifying your vegan life in honor of National Simplicity Day, which happened yesterday, July 12th. You can mark your calendar for next year to be really simple on on July 12th. That's from Carol Schneider, who is a simplicity expert. Her company is SimpleSizeMe.com. Last week, I did the blog, and it's called I'm a Compulsive Overeater, which those of you who listen to this show know that that is my history. Now, I haven't practiced that addiction in 32 years, but it's still part of me. And I've been getting a lot of great response from that, thanks to everybody who wrote in. And the week before that, Christy Draper did a piece called The Judgment-Free Vegan on why we are not all the same size and the same everything. And that's okay. We can all be vegan and save the animals and make the world better. So do check out MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. You can also subscribe. And if you do, I'll just be tickled. Now, all of this telling you to go to my website and everything, guess where I learned that? I learned that from a woman named Stephanie Red Cross, and I am not the only professional vegan who owes a great deal to Stephanie Red Cross, who founded Vegan Mainstream in 2009. It's a Florida-based marketing company built around Stephanie's 15 years of marketing experience with both small businesses and Fortune 500 companies. Passionate about living and advocating a vegan lifestyle for health, environmental, and ethical reasons, Stephanie has made it her life mission to help like-minded entrepreneurs, bloggers, and small to mid-sized companies reach and exceed their goals. She also hopes to encourage all businesses to consider both the marketing viability and the ethical importance of shifting to veg-friendly products and services. Welcome, Stephanie Red Cross. Thank you so much for having me here, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. Well, you were so instrumental uh, back in 2012 when I'd just written the book Main Street Vegan and I was looking at some of these other kinds of business ventures and outreach ventures, and you helped so much with bringing me up to speed in terms of technology and really understanding what it was. I think so many people in the animal movement 
We either come from the kind of nonprofit, charitable, just doing good and don't worry about anything else side, or we come from where I was coming from, the artistic side. You know, I'm a writer and you know, <laughs> everything will take care of itself. And you take people from these two divergent places and you bring us into the business world and show us that we're not selling out. We're moving forward, and it's certainly been like that for me. So give us some history, Stephanie. Tell us how you got started and why you created Vegan Mainstream. Well, I mean, it it started really as a passion for me, just like a passion project where I worked for corporate America. I worked in Fortune 500 companies, and I loved what I did. I loved marketing. I loved reaching people. I loved connecting people. But what I found is I loved veganism as well. So my question was, can I bring those two things together? Can I do something I'm passionate about? And at the same time, can I help people grow their business? Can I make sure that any vegan business that's created, can I help it go to that next level? Can I make sure these vegan businesses aren't closing? Can I make sure people are finding these vegan businesses and finding these great and amazing products? So I said, why don't I take my skill sets and apply it in the community that I'm passionate about? Love it. You do it so well. It's stunning. (laughs) So, okay, a lot of people want to start businesses, and some of them are vegan. So what's different, vegan entrepreneur, other entrepreneur? Well, really the business, the difference is the person behind it. It's really the, the driving force behind it. So when you think about a vegan business, it's having that person with a vegan hat on and having that ethical perspective. Because when you think about a business, most businesses are going to source certain products. If it's a food business, we're going to make sure, obviously, that we're bringing not only animal-friendly products to the fold, but we're making sure that the products that we're producing, the byproducts and so forth, are maybe going to be um, environmentally friendly. We're going to make sure that they're fair trade. We're going to make sure that it maybe has a little bit more ethics and passion and compassion around it than maybe you may see in some other companies. It may also be the way you treat your employees, maybe the benefits that you offer to your employees. So that's why I'm huge about telling people that a vegan business is not defined by food. It's really defined by the person behind it. It's just like having a woman-owned business, you know, having a woman kind of behind the helm and looking at it from that perspective. Because I believe what we can bring to the kind of the world and the products and services that we can bring to the world by putting that kind of vegan ethical perspective in place, we can not only bring great, strong, amazing products, but we can bring great, strong, amazing products that save animals. We can bring amazing, strong, awesome products that help our community, that help our environment. And I think that's where we can make a difference. That's where we can bring something new to kind of the game, as they say. And also, I think, and we'll talk maybe about this a little bit more, is it allows people to bring everything they're interested in. It doesn't mean we're limited to someone who's an amazing chef. We can have someone who's maybe a great financial planner, because what they do is they start to maybe look at funds, look at accounts, look at mutual funds that allow you to invest and make sure the money that you're investing are going into companies that you ethically align with. It, it really kind of ensures that now we start to have businesses and people at the helm that allow even consumers to ensure that their, their dollars are going in the right place. So that's why it's key that we have kind of vegan entrepreneurs behind these businesses in all types of facets. I mean, whether we're talking authors like yourself, even a vegan landscaper, as an example, um, is maybe an idea that people don't think about when they think about starting a business, that having someone like that, you're maybe going to do something very ethical around your maybe catch and release program, you know, when you're dealing with pests or dealing with animals like squirrels and so forth. So I really would love to maybe get your your listeners to think about if they are thinking about starting a business or know someone is thinking about starting a business is that don't put blinders up and think it's food. It's really an opportunity for us to bring all of our passions, all of our skills to bear and bring that out into an um, commercial setting so that we can help everyone, help others and give the community a support system around it. That is so brilliant. It's like the old English teacher line of write about what you know, 
will go into business about what you know. I mean, we just uh, had a guest on who's doing this amazing immersive theater project because she is a performance artist and and a painter and an actor, and that's Mm -hmm. her milieu. And yet, there does seem to be a problem, Stephanie, investment-wise. When I talk to people who are investing in veganism, they are investing in food products, and they don't seem to be interested in investing in anything else. Why is that, and what does an entrepreneur with another business do about it? I think the cha- why it's happening and some of the challenges around it is food's very tangible. Um, so it's something that everyone can understand, you know, I'm trading X, I'm changing X amount of dollars for a specific product. Also, food has a track record. So you see a lot of investors gravitate towards that because if they are a person that has invested in other restaurants, it's very, it's not a stretch to say, okay, now consider a vegan restaurant. So investors are able to stretch to that. Where people are struggling is when they do some of these other businesses like we talked about or maybe service-based businesses because many of them don't have the track record. They don't have the numbers. You know, I worked in a corporation, so it was, you know, 15% year-over-year growth. A lot of small businesses just don't have those metrics behind them. So what they have to do is they really have to think more of a bootstrap approach. They have to really see themselves as not a corporation yet, but a small business, or many of you maybe even be solopreneurs out there. It's just you in your business. And you want to look at ways that you can bring in investors, but also how you can structure your business so it's ready for investors when you want to bring them in. Because if you don't have the metrics around well, how many customers do you have, how much does it cost to acquire a customer, um, how much traffic are you getting to your website, what are your standard conversion rates, where is your distribution, what's your distribution plans, and so forth, it makes it very difficult for an investor to say, when can I get my money back? When am I going to get that? So I always recommend to people is twofold bootstrap, use things like Kickstarter, use projects to raise money, do events or maybe partner with people. Maybe you're a graphic designer and you're going to work with someone who does pop-up events um, and you're going to work with them to raise some capital through those types of events where you're partnering or helping other people that you can pour back in your business. And then also prepare your business for an investor. Put the metrics in place, put the tools in place so that you have a track record. You can show a track record of success and be able to say, in six months, I expect this type of income. In two years, I expect this type of income or type of movement in the market. And that will position you for that opportunity. If anyone who's listening live has a question for Stephanie, if you have a business or you're dreaming of having a business, give us a call. 816-347-5519. That number works from anywhere on planet Earth. 816-347-5519. So, Stephanie, what power do, do we as vegans have to shape what's in the stores and what people want? Yeah, I think this is such a fun topic because I know not maybe everyone's ready to start a business out there, but you want to be able to do something. What can you do? And for many of us, it really is creating the demand for these products and services. Um, if we take it on the product side, and we don't even have to do it on the food side, you can think about it from skincare to makeup to hair products to shoes, belts, all of those things we all buy, we all need. And the idea is, why not go to your local stores? Why not go to the places where you shop and ask them to carry them? I'll give you an example. I lived in a very small town for a while um, in Fort Stewart, Georgia. My husband was in the military. And we would go into our local military commissary and ask them to bring in products. I would print out a copy of the product. I'd find the UPC code for it because you got to sometimes talk supermarket language. Um, if you can't find it online, contact the company or the vegan company and ask them for it. Many of them will give you this information. And I would print it out and I'd walk in there and ask them, would they bring it in either as a special purchase item or bring it in as a trial item and test it? Many of them have buyers. Many of these people are looking for the next great product and they want their customers to be happy. So go into your stores, go into Trader Joe's, go into Whole Foods, um, go into Kroger's and all of those things. They don't have to just be the specialty stores. You'll be surprised when you go into your local grocery stores. Many of them have the power to buy local products and also to buy specialty products if you ask 
And then the other side of it is if they say yes, definitely, definitely, please share it. Post it out on Facebook. Let everyone know. We joked the other day about how we finally got one of our stores to carry a gardine when I lived in the small town. And we told everyone about it that they couldn't keep it on the shelf after a while. <laughs> and we were like, oh man, this is a, you know, this is a double edged sword here because it's like, it's great because we created all that great demand, but then we didn't have the product, which is a testament of when you can create that type of demand. Stores love it. You'll love it because it brings it to your town and you really do your community a service because maybe they're those people who aren't willing to speak up or aren't ready to speak up. And by you bringing it in and letting them know, they'll go out, they'll buy it, they'll support it. That is so cool. Just before I left for Vegetarian Summerfest, I saw that my little CVS drugstore, well, it's not so little, but my neighborhood CVS drugstore had a whole display, a whole rack of ELF, eyes, lips, face, uh, mm-hmm. cosmetics, all vegan, very, very low cost. And I was so excited and was all ready to share that with people at Summerfest. And then someone said, oh, they also have them right here on the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown University Bookstore. This kind of thing just did not happen back in the days when we were trying to make that stuff out of Crisco and food coloring. So it's <laughs> very exciting to see what happens. And I know sometimes when we're traveling and, and that, it's very important to just have the stuff available. Oh my gosh, I forgot a mascara. I'll run over to the CVS or the campus bookstore. I'll pick that up. But do we also have a moral obligation to seek out the little vegan businesses, the ma and pa just getting started? Absolutely. I think it is so, so, so important because many of us who are probably listening here, you you guys might be the ma and pa's right now. And even some of the big brands that we look at today, they were ma and pa businesses at one point as well. Um, plus, I think it's important to inspire entrepreneurism in our community. It's such a fun thing to create something, to build something and share it with the world. So I think there's an obligation as us as vegans to promote that, to help that. So if you have a blog, blog about the products that you love, blog about the products that you find, tell people about these local people in your community that do great things um, meet with them, take pictures with them, use the power of social media, you know, to not only just share pictures of your food, but share pictures of the people who are behind these businesses because it makes them more real. It makes them more tangible to all of us. And I also think these, the often the products that are coming from our local small businesses have very great quality because the challenge is when you, when you try to get it into the big box stores, Sometimes there's, you know, there's the economics of cost and, you know, margin and so forth. And what I find is in a lot of the smaller businesses, you tend to get more of the organics. You may get things that are more local sourced. You may get many of those things that you personally care about. And that starts to now fall in line with all of the products that you're buying. That now you're starting to not only own your veganism as like a person, you can live your veganism through your community, through your actions, which I think is like super awesome because it's a totally different level of expressing your veganism and also being a little bit of a role model of your veganism because people can see you do what you believe. Well, Stephanie, your enthusiasm is infectious. You have a beautiful, beautiful voice. I I hope you're doing something in broadcasting because uh, you have the voice for it. Now, everybody, Stephanie's website is veganmainstream.com. Facebook, Twitter, same thing, Vegan Mainstream. If you have a business, if you want to have a business, do check out Stephanie and her work. She does wonderful webinars, consulting, classes, all sorts of of amazing things. She can really help you be a success out there in the vegan business world and the bigger business world. So, Stephanie, if somebody wants to start a vegan business, how do they get started? I think the biggest thing if you're starting a vegan business is you need a transition plan because for many of us, you may start with, you already have a nine to five. You already have a well-established career. And for many of us, it's a question of how do you want to get started? Are you trying to make the leap? Stephanie, say that again. Stephanie, did I lose you? Nope. I'm here right now. 
I'm just running through kind of getting started in the transition plan okay. that people Little would want to do. technical difficulties here. Stephanie? Yes, I can hear you okay. great. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. So we're talking about getting that business started. And what kind of capitalization do people need? It always breaks my heart. I know there was a business maybe a year ago, and they'd been around for a while. They were making crackers, and they were really, really good crackers and super healthy, and I really liked to buy them, and I bought lots of them. And then they came up with a Kickstarter because they couldn't stay in business any longer. Something had happened with their financials, and it just broke my heart because the crackers were so good. But I guess if you really want a successful business, you need good crackers and good business sense. Absolutely. You need an amazing product. You need great business sense. But I think the thing that a lot of people struggle with when they're really kind of starting their business or ramping up their business is the expenses. They run out of control. So I think a lot of times we think about the sales and we get caught up in gross, kind of gross sales, money coming in, but we forget how much money is going out, meaning all the money you're spending on the websites and the website software and the travel and so forth. And what I tell a lot of people is when you're planning, whether you're just getting started or whether you're in business a couple of years, it's so important to focus on that financial. A, to understand, to your point, kind of about the cracker example, what do you need as far as revenue to go to that next level? So is it a Kickstarter? Is it some type of cash infusion? I know some people use loans. Some people even loan from their 401k, which can be super scary. Um, uh, and I'm not a huge advocate of for, but think about what do you need to go to that next level or look at your business and say, where can you take some of those expenses out? And some of it may be expenses in your business. And for really small businesses, some of it is taking the expenses out of your personal life. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we first started off, many of us out of college or out of school, you know, we didn't have many expenses. We just got an apartment and that was it. Maybe we got our first car or something like that. Where now we have the water bill, the electric bill, the cable bill, you know, the lawn care bill. We have all these different bills. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur and a strong entrepreneur, you might want to cut back some of those expenses, some of those frills. If you're Used to getting your nails done, you might have to do them yourself for a little while. If you had the HBO and Showtime package, I give this as a, I'm giving it as a small example, but it can have a very big impact is bring down your cable bill cost because that is money that you might be able to reinvest in your business, especially when you're small. And the same thing goes for your actual business is look at your revenue, look at your expenses and make sure that nothing is kind of running amok. There's not software that you're using, excuse me, software that you're not using that you're paying for. There's not a service or a tool that you may have outgrown and it's time to consolidate three things that you've been paying for in down to one bill that's more cost effective because those are the things that can really do a lot of us in over the years. Well, that makes so much sense. And you just said if we have a wonderful product that we love, tell people about it. So for anybody who's doing their own nails to help make their business succeed, one of my favorite products, and I I don't work for these people. I don't know anything about them except that they make this amazing thing. It's called Tate's Nail Polish Remover, T-A-T-S. Some of the vegan outlets sell it. It smells like nothing. It, It smells like water. But Ooh. it works really, really well. It one swipe and, and your nail polish is gone. So thank you, Stephanie. You see, I always do what you tell me. Now, the word Kickstarter has come up a few times in our conversation. And yet I'm sensing that the era of Kickstarter is just about over. I think people are so tired of getting these requests, which are sometimes worded as demands, that they're just weary and and they're not excited about contributing in that particular way anymore. How do you see that? Um, I think it's a little bit of yes. I'm going to probably give you a little bit of a yes and no answer to that. Um, I think as far as new brands, brands that people are not aware of, they're a little bit more leery from a kickstart standpoint or Indiegogo standpoint because 
they're not sure if the brand's going to come to fruition. There's been a couple of brands that maybe haven't been able to complete their product or the product maybe in the end was not as ideal. But where I find it works really well is for brands that are semi-established, meaning they have a good following and they really need that money to go to that next level. So what happens is they are, it's a way for them to inspire and kind of mobilize their customer base mobilize people who already know and love them and allow them to a contribute in another way as well as tell their friends um and that's where i see it working the most these days um less about a brand that someone doesn't know about and we're just jumping on the you know jumping on the the project just because it's vegan like that that phase is definitely tapering down well, I think people liked contributing to something that they feel they're building, but a lot of the requests seem to be, help me not go under. And and I think people feel like, well, no, you're on your own <laughs> on that one. So, Stephanie, you have a phrase that is exciting to you, and it's a very interesting kind of catchphrase. You say, the passion with the professional making veganism a bigger part of your day. What's that all about? That's this thing that's so near and dear to my heart where I really want to inspire people to think about how do you bring the thing you do in your professional life? Because for many of us, it's something we really care about, something that we love. And how do you blend that with your vegan passion? Similar to what I did by starting my company, but thinking about what you do well and is there a way that either A, you're ready to start a vegan business, you're ready to build and generate a um, kind of that that it's create a product in space that people can use and benefit from. And when I say that, think about it of your profession, which you're great at. So if you're great, if you're an engineer, you can do that as well. We need engineers. We need people to help, you know, figure out how to make things faster, better. Um, even from an IT standpoint, maybe you're a person that makes apps. You can make apps for other companies or for other vegan businesses and help them. So think about how do you leverage your passion so that your veganism isn't a nighttime thing. It isn't, I go to work. And then I come home and then I'm vegan or I'm vegan on the weekends because I go to my veg fest and I go to my local meetups and so forth. Think about how you can bring that into your business. Now, for some of you listening, you may say, well, wait a minute, Stephanie, I'm not ready to be an entrepreneur. I don't know if I want to open a business. I'm, I'm not there yet. What can I do? And what I tell a lot of people is there's an opportunity for you to bring your skills to the table as well. Because many of us volunteer at animal shelters, many of us volunteer at sanctuaries and so forth. And what I want to inspire people to do is volunteer at your local business. If you love your local restaurant, if you love your local hairstylist, I mean, whoever your local vegan businesses are, volunteer, bring your professional skills there. Because if you gave them an hour a week or or spent a day helping them so that you're not just volunteering time, you're volunteering skill. You're bringing your expertise, your IT, your writing skills. You're bringing your graphic design skills to bear. And you can help those businesses push forward. You can help those businesses stay in business. You can help those businesses maybe go to the next level because maybe they couldn't naturally afford someone with your skill set. But if you would come in and volunteer an hour a day or volunteer to help on a project, it's a great way for you to pour your expertise into a business, a vegan business that's helping the community, that's helping expose the world to veganism. And obviously in many of these businesses, they're helping save animal lives. So I, I just want to, I guess I get excited about this because it's a great way for all of us to be active in the vegan kind of business community without being entrepreneurs. Or if you are on the fence, maybe you do an internship because maybe you think you want to run a restaurant, but it might be kind of cool or kind of interesting if you did an internship at a restaurant to see if that's really what you want to do because you may love it. Or you may say, hmm, I want to do a food truck instead after I got some good exposure. I understand what it takes behind the scenes because you've actually gotten to touch it and see it in real time. 
fabulous advice on everything. Now, Stephanie, not everybody, as you've said, is going to have a business, but you seem to believe that the vegan consumer is really important too, and that going shopping is another kind of activism. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, and the reason I call it another type of activism is because if we're trying to try and drive change in the world, if we're trying to save animals in the world, if we're able to displace the products on the shelves that are traditionally animal sourced, if we're able to displace some of those products and actually get vegan alternatives on the shelf, we are going to drastically change the world. We're going to drastically change the amount of animals and products and things that are used and byproducts, which is a whole nother scary um, bucket um, that uses, unfortunately, um, animals, that we can limit that and change it and change it through action, not just through protests, not just through maybe other means, but we can change it through action. And what I like about this is it not only changes it for us, but it changes it for everyone. Because if you imagine, there's plenty of you have probably been to a store and looked on the shelf and said, hmm, this is an interesting product, or hmm, this is an interesting outfit, or ooh, I love that design, or I love those shoes, and you buy it. And what happens is if, let's say, 20% of the items are vegan on the shelf, or 30%, or 40%, that action can happen more often that people maybe who are not vegans or not t-shirt wearing vegans are looking at products and saying, Hmm, I'm going to try ELF. Hmm. I'm going to try this product because it looks cool. It looks interesting. And it's a great way for us to bring kind of the vegan movement in front of people that are not maybe ready to say, I'm vegan. I want to make that change but we're introducing it to them in their everyday services and their everyday location that they shop in, the places they go in. So then veganism becomes a less scary thing. It becomes something that they're seeing the labels, they're hearing about it, they're hearing words like plant-based, they're getting introduced to different products and different companies. It's just like seeing, you know, Engine 2 in a Whole Foods store. You start to see these brands around you. You get more comfortable with them and people who are maybe interested in trying something new, it's easy for them to grab it on the shelf. And I think that's something that we all can do our part in. That's such a good point because there is this brand loyalty. There's the idea of some of these major companies and maybe they have terrible corporate practices and they make things that aren't very good for us. But we heard their jingles when we were little children, and so they seem like old family friends. And we need for the vegan products to get into that category as well. So, uh, Stephanie, as we try to be ethical consumers and we want our products to be vegan and we want them to come from good companies and we want the people that work there to be treated well. So we've talked about ELF a few times. I don't know how those workers are treated. They're made in China. And so how far do we go? How much stress do we put ourselves through to try to be sure that we are always or as close to always as possible trading our money for a better world? Well, I think there's a couple of things I tell people to do is number one, I normally personally, I make a top 10 list. I pick products that I am passionate about in the things I want. So if I'm thinking about products to clean my house, then I, I have a certain products that I like. Um, if I'm looking for things like makeup or personal items, I pick some of those brands. And then I research those brands. These days, with social media, you can get a good glimpse into some of these brands. Um, so that way, I can personally have kind of my my top brands, my top information, t- top products that I like to buy on a frequent basis. And then what I do is I'm a little bit of a nerd, and I like to follow and find out who's coming out with the new or the latest and greatest. Um, or I like vegan marketplaces, you know, companies like vegan cuts and so forth who will introduce you to new products. I love a lot of the subscription services that people are doing these days where you get boxes in the mail and it introduces you to different brands because what we don't want to do is these new brands are coming out. We want to make sure we support them. So I'm a huge fan of those because it allows you to get introduced to something new because you pay like 20 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month and they send out the boxes. And then I do the same thing. I research it. Now with all of that, like you said, we have, you have to as an individual decide your boundaries. What do you consider 
ethical? What do you consider important? What do you consider the types of brands that you want to support? And that's probably a discussion you've had maybe with yourself (laughs) on other things as well, you know, even as you buy other products um, in your home and so forth. Um, And I think you have to make that decision. It's just like when a person goes vegan and they have to decide some people like to throw out everything that they had that wasn't vegan and other people transition over, over time. So as it wears out, they'll actually disperse those items. I think it's the same thing as consumers is we have to decide what is important, what kind of businesses we want to support and what are our top one, two or three things and go for that and seek that out because we can't ask for perfection because that's a hard thing to get. But what we do is we want a business that leans towards what we want and we want to find businesses that support what you're passionate about, what you believe in and get them to really hit maybe those top three things out the park. Well, Stephanie Redcross, you hit all the top three things that I want to know about vegan business, about social media, about being web savvy, about customer service. I mean, you really have got it all together. So everybody do check out veganmainstream.com, Vegan Mainstream on Facebook and on Twitter, and take advantage of some of Stephanie's amazing offerings because they're all very affordable and very, very helpful, whether you're established in business or just getting started. So thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for today. And thank you for all of your guidance over the past few years. Everybody, next week, I hope you'll join us again. We are going to be having the sexy vegan, Brian L. Patton. And then we're going to be having a very serious and controversial discussion. Authors Sherry Kolb and Michael Dorff, they're both law professors at Cornell University, have recently authored a book called Beating Hearts looking at the abortion issue and animal rights. So that's going to be very interesting. Please be with us. And in the meantime, God bless you and eat your veggies. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. There is peace, there is quiet. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time with an energy that will captivate you. Touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Reverend Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. When we think of something priceless, we may envision a rare jewel or a masterpiece of art. In our minds, their value may be partially based on the fact that they're not easily found or duplicated. We tend to place greater worth in such things and may overlook the everyday treasures each one of us already possesses. 
Regardless of our individual tastes and perceptions, there is one thing we all value, a treasure we constantly seek, peace of mind. Ironically, peace isn't rare. It's an unlimited and ever-present gift that lives within each of us, waiting to be found. I can uncover my buried treasure today. Peace is priceless. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.